you see the IMAX film that I'm in with the Rolling Stones, Mick interacts with me a lot. Yeah. Um, because I was happy to interact with him. Mm -hmm. I wasn't intimidated. I found it fun. But as far as doing Gimme Shelter, I had to learn that don't be afraid to move around and work that stage and work, you know, yeah, the yeah. interaction with him. I wasn't doing that. In On this beginning. episode of Playtime, we visit with background vocalist Lorelai McBroom and talk about her talented family working with Pink Floyd, the Rolling Stones, and her current international tour with the Australian Pink Floyd Show, and more. I'm your host, W.C. Turk. Los Angeles singer-songwriter Lorelai McBroom has shared the stage with some of rock and roll's greats, Mick Jagger, Billy Idol, Chris Isaac, and Rod Stewart, and I am only just skimming the surface. She toured with Pink Floyd, as well as appearing in Pink Floyd's original music videos for The Dogs of War, On the Turning Away, and also in the concert film Pink Floyd, Live in Venice. I'd say that makes her more than qualified for the Australian Pink Floyd show, the preeminent Floyd tribute band currently touring the U.S. and Canada. On September 7th, the band comes to Ravinia in suburban Chicago for a 7 p.m. show where Lorelai and the band are performing all 15 of Pink Floyd's studio albums in a full 13 and a half hour set. Do I have that right? <laughs> I have not heard that before, <laughs> but we definitely pick songs that span the different eras of Pink Floyd's music so that we kind of touch on a little bit of the Sid period and a little bit yeah. of the early Floyd period with Roger and then the post Roger period from Division Bell, Pulse, all that. So we get a little of everything in there. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to say, I saw Pink Floyd for the wall tour some years ago. I'm, I'm not going to do the math on that, but uh, so, some years ago, you guys, if, if you close your eyes, you can't tell the incredibly good yeah yeah it's, it's exceptional but I, I do have this 7 p.m on september 7th part right probably not the the 13 and a half hour set okay all right um have you played Ravinia before by the way i to be honest with you i have played at so many different venues i get them confused and i don't know until sometimes i get backstage and uh -huh. i'm more likely to recognize the backstage area than the part where we actually do the show it all, it all kind of becomes a blur at some point. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I should let people know that there's a couple of websites uh, they need to go to. Uh, Ravinia.org uh, 
for tickets, which are still available for, for the, uh, the September 7th show. Uh, also, AussieFloyd.com for the band. And also, and I'll ask you about this, McBroomSisters.com. Um, and you're on Bandcamp. Or I just picked up uh, a copy of your, your latest album, uh, Black Floyd. Oh, thank you. You, uh, you started singing young. Yes, at eight years old. Um, I was playing folk guitar in a troupe with other children. Uh And um, our teachers, our guitar teachers organized for us to sing at different elementary schools. And that got me started with the singing. I mean, I was dancing. My my older sisters, uh, Durga and my older sisters, Marsha Uh and Dana, were dancing in Aida at the Met with Lee and Teen Price when they were teenagers. So we were quite encouraged to follow in their footsteps. I was going to ask you uh, about because uh, there, there's quite a lot about uh, about Durga and you, but not a lot about your your other sisters who pr- who pursued acting. And and I'm, I'm wondering how your parents uh, and family supported and nurtured those creative aspirations. Well, for one thing, Marsha and Dana have a different mother. Uh, Marie uh-huh. Lee, she's okay. just recently passed on. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, and she encouraged, because she was also a concert pianist herself. Marie mm-hmm. was a Juilliard trained uh, professional who worked with artists like Harry Belafonte um, wow. back before he was famous. And she and my father had a school called the Lee Mack School in Harlem, where mm-hmm. they hosted lots of different productions. And that's kind of one of the um, elements of influence on my older sisters, but they definitely have been recognized. Um, Dana just recently was mourning the death of Roger Mosley, who she starred with in the film Lead Belly. She played his main love interest and she did choreography for the film. She also wrote Pull Up to the Bumper for Grace Jones. Oh yeah, yeah. Was a modeling partner of Marsha which is how they met. Um, Marsha is Grace Jones' son's godmother. Mm-hmm, Marsha mm-hmm. was in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls as a teenager, playing the drummer in the band. That's a cult film that um, has carried on. Yeah, yeah, it has. She was in Jesus Christ Superstar, Legend of Nigger Charlie. I mean, the list uh-huh. is very long. So these accomplishments of our older sisters definitely encouraged Durga and I to pursue music, which we were doing as children. We would learn musicals and perform them for our parents when they'd come home. So that's how that came about. Uh, who, who came also with, did quite yeah. a bit of acting herself. She was in Flashdance and um, we both did a lot of music videos. So who, who came to music first, you or, or Durga? I would say I did because Uh like I said, Durga was pursuing acting and became frustrated that she was being offered roles as a hooker and a prison inmate because she's (laughs) tall and dark skinned. Uh So I encouraged her to um, do some songwriting. She's an excellent lyricist. Mm -hmm. And she came to visit me. I was in the studio working with Nile Rogers on what was supposed to be my solo album for Capitol. Mm-hmm. At the time, we had done a few music videos, including Billy Idol. Don't be 
of Durga and I singing together. And then I had met another young lady, Roberta Freeman, literally weeks before I got this call, finding out she was a waitress. And I thought she was a pretty girl. And I asked her if she could sing. And she said, yeah, I can sing. So she brought her material to the studio, met Niall and all of us. And we took a Polaroid, sent it in, got the gig. That was it. That was it. Uh, did I did I hear that uh, that your sister helped you uh, helped you get a spot uh, as a as a, a background vocalist uh, or as as a as a uh, a, a vocalist um, with the Australian Pink Floyd show? Yes, Durga put in a good word for me. Uh, uh-huh. Their manager at the time had reached out to her to do something, and it coincided with me writing to the Aussie um, Floyd through their website, mm. mentioning that I'd worked with Pink Floyd pre- previously. But Durga encouraged them because of the timing to have me come in, and I did, and it just worked out really well. And it's been great since 2011. I've been with them. You guys support each other. That's so great. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it's family. Durga is very talented, and I appreciate the fact that we look out for each other. Well, I mean, we we hear so many stories about sibling rivalries, but it doesn't sound like you guys maybe uh, maybe in 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 a little bit of vocalization, but uh, but it doesn't sound like you guys really have have a, much of a rivalry. Instead, it's it's more of a support network that you guys foster with each other. Absolutely. That's the way it is with all of us, really, because yeah. I met Nile Rogers because of my sister, Dana. Yeah, yeah. Um, she encouraged that relationship. Uh, Marsha has always been very supportive of what I do as a singer, what Durga does. She's very proud of us as her mm-hmm. little sisters that we've toured the world as she has done. So, yeah, there's no part. I believe part of it is because our father was very keen on the idea that you are sisters. It doesn't matter who the mother is. And so we all grew up with this closeness and kind of interacting and supporting each other and being encouraged and inspired by each other's yeah, gifts. Yeah. What is true love? How does it feel? How can you tell what's false and what is real? Oh, is true love a painful test? Or is true love truly effortless? Does it require sacrifice? Or is it as easy as breathing? 
Could, could you function in this business without the support of, of your sisters? I think it would have been much more difficult. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, we had tremendous support from our parents, uh, Durga and I, with our father and mother. Basically, they said, whatever you think you can do, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And then they put the support behind it. My mother spent a lot of money on my training because I studied voice. I took dance lessons. Durga took dance lessons. You know, whatever it was that was needed, the mm -hmm. support was there. So let's uh, let's get down in the weeds a, a little bit about uh, Pink Floyd and your time with Pink Floyd, your experience with Pink Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, you you are far more, and in, in in my in my very humble estimation, you are far more than just a backup singer. Those vocals are such an integral part of the of the Pink Floyd sound. I, I'd love you to fill in that a little bit well for one thing um when i was a teenager i got turned on to dark side of the moon mm -hmm. um and it blew my mind it blew all of our minds i mean the idea of an album that one song blended into the next was something nobody yeah, was doing yeah um and the harmonies are just so beautiful it's really a joy to sing them um, yes, I am definitely a lead singer. As I said, I had a record deal on yeah. Capitol, which yeah. unfortunately everyone from the president down got fired. And so I didn't have a release, mm -hmm. but that allowed me to go on tour with Pink Floyd and do live in Venice, play in Russia. Even don't know the way. something on pretty much every tour I've done, whether it be with Pink Floyd, with the Rolling Stones, I sang um, Give Me Shelter with Mick Jagger. Yeah. Uh, with Rod Stewart, I had a little solo on sailing. So uh, I believe the people that I've worked with have recognized that I do have that talent, which I'm so oh, yeah. grateful for. Yeah. Um, even Steve Hackett uh, hired my sister and I to sing on his last two albums, and he let us do leads on the Underground Railroad song. Mm -hmm. 
bottom line is the harmonies and the background vocals on Pink Floyd's music are precious to me because they're just beautiful. So so being being a singer songwriter and being a lead singer with your own projects, how does how is that different or how how does that inform how you come to for for lack of a better term I, I'll just I, I'll just say it, a, a backing vocalist for for someone like Pink Floyd or even the Australian Pink Floyd show. Well, it's a completely different mindset uh-huh. to be in the background as opposed to being in the lead. Uh-huh. Being in the background is about complementing the entire picture. Yeah. And I've the blend. gotten exactly the blend also that you don't want to stick out too much uh-huh. at the same token because we're girls, it's always been important to me and I've emphasized to the Aussies that we have a look, we have a style, and that style tends to be rather elegant because that was my experience of doing it with Pink Floyd. Um, We were classy and it just worked out that they've taken our advice and we get lots of compliments from the audience, from the fans. They love the girls, not just our our singing, but they love the way we look. Mm -hmm. And we put time and effort into that. Do you you ever just say to yourself, oh my God, I'm on stage with Pink Floyd? Oh, yes. I've said that many times with the numerous artists that I've worked with, because it is like that. I mean, I grew up being a fan of these people. Yeah. And I mean, I remember being on stage with Rod Stewart and thinking, oh, my God, I'm singing with Rod. You know, I mean, I went through it in the studio with Philip Bailey, the yeah. lead singer from, uh, from Earth, Wind and, Earth Fire. and Fire. Yeah. Niall put me together with him to write a song and I was fine. Until we got in the studio and he you know, opened his mouth and I heard that voice. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm singing with Philip Bailey. And I uh-huh. out. And Niall had to come out and Philip had to put his arm around me. Niall was like, you're rushing. So Philip kind of rocked me to the music. So I fell in the pocket and then it was great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Pink Floyd has played, in, and you mentioned uh, mentioned Venice and, and Moscow uh, a little bit. Some some incredibly exotic locations: Venice, Versailles, uh, Pompeii, Moscow, uh, as well as some of the, the the best known venues on the planet. Many of which you've you've kind of forgotten or, or blended <laughs> together. Uh, but is there a location that stands out in your mind, good, bad, or even a little nightmarish? Let's go for the good. All right, good. Many more memories of good. I don't have a lot of memories of bad experiences touring um, with Pink Floyd, really. I can't think of any place that was horrible. Uh My favorite, though, is Russia. 
I don't know the name of the venue where we worked because a lot of things have changed since I was first there. Um, Cause I've been back to Russia a couple of times with the Australian Pink Floyd and with Rod Stewart. Mm -hmm. That concert with Pink Floyd was so phenomenal. It started out because we were promoting momentary lapse of reason. So people didn't know mm. that album. It was new. And the majority of the people in the front of the arena were wealthy. Yeah. Poor yeah. people were in the back and they would come up when we do the second half, we were doing songs from dark side or from animals or, mm -hmm. you know, and so they knew those songs and they'd come rushing to the stage, just excited to hear the music and they were being carted off by security. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, like violently taken away, like they were going to put them in a gulag. And so the wow. Pink Floyd told the promoters, we can't have this. So they decided to allow the people in the second half of the show to come to the stage. And they were so overjoyed. They threw money at us during money. The soldiers and the police threw their hats on stage, which is why you wow. may know the famous picture in Nick Mason's book that shows my sister, Durga, myself, and Rachel Fury wearing military hats. And we're holding a sign that says, make love, not war. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, the guards were crying. We were crying. Everybody was just overwhelmed. And I met a journalist in uh, Russia that told me they were so uh, isolated from the music mm. of the West that to have this exposure was just revolutionary. Let me let me ask you that. Um, I, and I, I really wasn't going to go this direction, uh, but since we're since we're here and, and I've been uh, I, I've interviewed some some Ukrainian artists from from the war zone and and I'm still in contact with a number of uh, a number of them. I was a I was a war uh, photographer in uh, in Bosnia and Sarajevo during during the siege and, and war there. So I had I had some experience, but given given your experience and what you just said about uh, about Russia and the Russian people, that there's there's a an embargo against cultural exchange uh, between between the West right. and and Russia. Do you feel that because because art has always been transcendent in speaking to to the human heart and the human soul and and right. artists have always been able to make these these really strong dynamic statements of ideology and purpose and philosophy and humanity. What, what are your thoughts? on whether or not artists should be in Russia. You mean as far as people that don't live there coming to yes. Russia to perform? Yes. At the moment, there's so much that I don't know about what's really happening on the ground. It's difficult for me to say whether yeah. it would be actually safe or not. However, I think that once things are a little bit more calmed down, mm -hmm. it's always a good idea, in my opinion, to have a cultural exchange. Mm -hmm. For me, having traveled internationally, really since I was five with my parents initially to uh, London and Paris, mm -hmm. then going to Asia as a teenager with my mother and traveling the Greek Isles and whatnot, it's given me a perception of humanity that I don't think I would have had had I not been able to travel and see how other people live. And to recognize that although America always touts itself as being number one, mm -hmm. there's so much going on in the rest of the world that should be observed, valued, and understood. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to go there. Yeah, I, I used to work 
uh, I, I worked in Germany and, and I've, I've traveled all over Europe and Asia. And, and I, I used to, I used to sort of half, uh, half joke with people that I never really could understand what was happening in the United States until I was outside of it. Right. So, so I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump jump to this this point because I think this is relevant in the discussion. Um, you and your 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 sister did an interview with George Floyd's uncle, Selwyn Jones. I, I mentioned that you released an album uh, with Durga, um, and I, let me give the uh, the website McBroomSisters.com. Uh, and the name of the album is Black Floyd, um, but where where you recorded six uh, six originals. You do this solemn rendition of "Wish You Were Here," almost almost a hymnal. It's it's so soulful and beautiful and simple. Um, which you dedicated to Black Lives Matter, uh, which which I think is is incredibly gutsy. So, so you think you can tell? Can you tell a green field from a cold steel rail? Smile from a veil. Do you think you can tell? Did they get you to trade your heroes for ghosts? Hot ashes for trees. How does how does the perspective of being outside of this country allow you to look back at the racial animus in, in this country? Well, the reason why I made the video for the song uh-huh. with the Black Lives Matter theme was because George Floyd had just been murdered. And it was all over the news everywhere. Yeah. I was yeah. actually staying in London at the time we had had a tour canceled because of COVID and that was what allowed us to finish the album. Actually uh, with the exception of Chris Barnes, our, one of our uh, singers, 
everybody in the Australian Pink Floyd is playing on Black Floyd on something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And our producer who finished the album for us um, pretty much took the lead to finish it is David Fowler, who is also in the Australian Pink Floyd. And he mm -hmm. did a phenomenal job uh, completing the production on the album, which we had started with a musician named Dave Kersner. Mm -hmm. So back to your question about the race issue. At that point, I was seeing news stories all over the world that everyone was affected by the murder of that man. Yeah, it was amazing. And it gave, it was like a perfect window to say, let's look at what this is really about, uh -huh. which is why I made the theme of the video, again, Black Lives Matter, starting with images from Africa of really, they were supposed to be kind of like spirits out in space coming down to earth mother africa which is where every human being Everybody, comes from yeah. and then from there i showed the royalty and the kingdoms that we don't learn about here in school in the united states that we should know mm -hmm. everyone on the planet should know who mansa musa was mm -hmm. as a king in mali he is still considered to this day to have been the richest man who ever lived now in the united states nobody understands that when i went to school I mean, mind you, I'm an older African-American, Black American, whatever you want to call me. But when I was in school, all I learned about was we were enslaved. Then there was a civil rights movement. And from and that's it. I uh, never heard anything positive about Africa yeah, ever. Yeah, all I knew was yeah. that there were tribes and people were primitives and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Until when I was a teenager, I went to an exhibit or excuse me a lecture about the King Tut exhibit. And the lecturer brought out these photos and he said, these are dark skinned Egyptians and you're not gonna see them in the exhibit, but we come from royalty. There were dynasties and I learned about Kush and Nubia and I was like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. And I thought, no wonder I've always felt this emptiness like there was more to the story because I feel connected to royalty much more than I feel connected to some tragically uh, enslaved people. Definitely in my history, our family history, uh, our father told us a horrible story, I'm not going to go into it, about a, um, a relative that was drawn and quartered oh. um, and whatnot. So it's close to me. But again, my main point was, despite the horrors of being enslaved, mm -hmm. despite the horrible discrimination that happened after emancipation, where you know we it led to Jim Crow and the lynchings and whatnot. 
In the end, we're all from the same race, the human race. And that was the point of the video. It's it's an incredible, incredible video. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful rendition of, of the song. Uh, it's it's on my favorites on my MP3. So oh, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah. That's I, Dave Fowler. Dave Fowler was in, inspired to create the arrangement because our arrangement mm -hmm. is different. It starts like the Pink Floyd version, but mm -hmm. it goes somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really an emotional reaction to a personal experience he was having at the time. A very dear friend had suddenly died. And he put all that emotion into that arrangement. And to me, that's part of what makes it's, it so You know, beautiful. it's, it's, and, and I don't want to diminish the, the power of your and Durga's voices, which are exemplary and, and, and filled with light and life and passion and, uh, and dare I say a, a little bit of, a little bit of pain, a little yes. bit of that. Yeah. That was, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal song and rendition of the song. And it's not, it, it's not hard. You know, other bands have done it. I think Radiohead did a version of uh, Wish You Were Here. But, you know, I, I'm always dubious about covers. And, right. and this, is, um, th this is such a, such a beautiful piece that it, 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 it rises above. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Well, I have to say, coming back to the Australian Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I try when I have those moments where I'm featured to put that emotion into my singing. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, Grey Gig in the Sky, some people don't know this, it's about dying. And so the first part is fighting, knowing that you're gonna die. No, I'm not gonna go, no. And, and it's like screaming out. Second part, which is what I sing, is the pain of recognizing I am gonna die and I feel really sad about it. The third part is surrendering to understanding this is what's gonna happen and just let it go. So you will definitely hear from me in the concert emotion, even though I'm just in the background um, on uh, what do you want from me is another one. Yeah. I felt that the, the background part saying, what do you want from me? Mm -hmm. I could just see a chorus of black women shaking their heads going, what do you want from me? So, but but, uh, but I think I think it's important that people understand that because I I don't think a lot of people necessarily understand those vocal parts as having that much depth or that much nuance, but they but they feel it, right? 
And that's all that matters is if they feel it. Yeah. If they get the feeling, we can mess up the notes. We can, you know, flub something here and there. It doesn't matter if the audience feels that you're sincere in what you're expressing, they will forgive all that because people like to be touched by the music they listen to. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think, I think that speaks, that speaks sort of to, to the point that I was, uh, I was coming to about Russia and, and the Ukraine situation and, and right. getting right to right into people's hearts and souls. Well, to me, that's what we're doing it for, ultimately, is we want to reach people with whatever is being said in these songs, whether Mm -hmm. they understand the lyrics or not, the music touches people. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if they speak English or not, because I've performed Pink Floyd songs all over the world. Yeah, Um, yeah. The music is very popular in Latin America, where they're either speaking Portuguese or Spanish. Um, It's popular all over Europe, where not every country, people don't all speak English, but they're moved by the experience. And the show that we do as the Australian Pink Floyd is not just the music, it's Mm -hmm. the lights, it's the lasers, it's the videos. Uh, A lot of times the lighting on us is set where we're more in silhouette, more so than focusing on who's playing, who's singing. It's it's an experience. emotions and those motivations that that is translated directly to to the audience yes definitely and i i I think i I think it's important i think it's important for people to know that let me let me ask you this uh we'll just spend spend another uh, another minute or two because i i know your your time is at a premium here how how does lorelei mcbroom come to come back to center uh martin barr from jethro tall is is a dear dear friend um he jogs no one talks to him and no one bothers him that's his time how do you de-stress on the road or from the road uh first of all i don't find being on the road stressful okay um partially because i love traveling Uh and i feel so uh fortunate to be able to make a living where somebody else pays for my airfare, somebody else pays for my hotels, and they pay me to do something I really enjoy doing, which (laughs) is singing. Uh So, you know, the, the biggest thing, I guess, about coming home is that sometimes I'm quite tired after, you know, the having to be at the airport at a certain early hour and you've been up late at night or the time difference is the Mm -hmm. biggest obstacle is the time change has really uh, affected me yeah. over these 11 years of going to Europe every year, with the exception of the pandemic period, 
I started getting myself into the routine of waking up really early so uh -huh. that when I get to London, I don't go through uh, jet lag and feeling really horrible. I go through more of that when I come home. Yeah, but yeah. Because my saying. time is kind of my own when I come home. Mm -hmm. If I have to go to sleep at a crazy time, it doesn't matter. Another interesting thing that that Martin told me had to do with with management styles of some of the bands he was with, creative management. Ian Anderson was very strict. This is the way I wrote the song. This is the way I'm performing it. He recorded a song with Paul McCartney, who has a far more collaborative style. You work, you worked with with Mick Jagger and David Gilmore. Um, how were they to work with on, on a creative level? Wow. Um, their personalities are so very different. Yeah, they are. I say this a lot to people. When you have a band like the Rolling Stones, where uh -huh. everyone knows who they are, what they look like, and what their image is, it makes for a different kind of interaction, particularly with the public for them, yeah, yeah. than uh, someone like David Gilmore, who it's been in the later years that we see more of the faces of who is in Pink Floyd. Right. Then when I got with them, we didn't even know what David Gilmore looked like. Mm -hmm, he came mm -hmm. out with an acoustic guitar. He said, because they had sent us the songs to learn from Momentary Lapse of Reason. He said, you want to go over the songs? And mm -hmm. we were like, uh, who's this guy? And then we realized, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the lead singer of the band. Yeah. And then we went over the songs and so forth. And everything was easy. And he said, do you want to join the show tonight? And we said, yeah. Because we were allowed to have sat out and watched it. No, we were like, yeah, we want to be in there. Yeah. So he gave us tremendous freedom creatively as far as ad libs that yeah. we did. Um, something I've noticed about David Gilmore is that he tends to evolve the arrangements as the tour evolves. Oh, interesting. Um, part of the reason that we were hired was because On the Turning Away had a choir. Yeah. And they already had two girls. So they wanted three more to actually fatten up the background parts. And as a result of the way they liked it, the way that it sounded, mm -hmm. they pulled the drums on one part of it. So you really get this angelic choir behind the lead vocals and then the drums come back in later. It's not like that on the album. Pink Floyd has has this has this sort of precision element which is I, I, maybe the Stones are, are kind of kind of more improv oriented, uh, in the moment oriented. Well, I didn't get to answer about Mick. Please. Um, I was really, I had some huge shoes to fill because Lisa Fisher had mm -hmm. already established her version of doing Gimme Shelter yeah. and as a very accomplished and super mega talented background singer, um, <clears throat> she and uh, Cindy Mizell had done the tour before me and they left because they had an obligation to work with Luther Vandross. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this spot opened up. Mick had auditioned me before. I just missed out when it came down to Lisa Bernard and Cindy. It was Cindy, myself, and Roberta that were auditioning for that last slot, and Cindy got it. Mm -hmm. Totally deserved it. She and Lisa have a tremendous blend. They've worked together for years. Um, so when I came in there, I was doing my best to keep up. I mean, it was only <laughs> the third time I've ever, ever been on a tour. Uh huh. 
um, which people didn't know that. They just assumed because these things are so pro high profile that I've been touring for years. I had yeah. not. Yeah. So it was a great learning experience for me. I found actually that Keith was more into interacting with me and giving me advice. Okay. Um, okay. And he was super, super supportive. It's just that it took a while for them to understand how to communicate to me what they wanted. They wanted me to be more animated in my performance. Yeah. And I was just worried about, can I sing the note? Can I hit what I'm supposed to hit? And I wasn't really singing to that guy in the last row in the back of this massive arena because they were playing in stadiums, you know, where it was a minimum of 70,000. It was usually more right. like 200,000. And so I learned from the Rolling Stones how to sing to that guy in the back. How does that different from singing the way you were singing previous? Well, for one thing, with the Rolling Stones, the image is much more raunchy. Yeah. Really sexy. Yeah. Um, you know, throw your 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 body around a little bit. Yeah, the yeah. Dancing was very uh, provocative, whereas Pink Floyd was much more elegant, much more subdued, much more low key. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Um, so that in itself was really different. Although I was ready for it, and you can see if you see the IMAX film that I'm in with the Rolling Stones, Mick Seen interacts it? with me a lot. Yeah. Um, because I was happy to interact with him. Mm -hmm. I wasn't intimidated. I found it fun. But as far as doing Gimme Shelter, I had to learn that don't be afraid to move around and work that stage and work, you know, yeah, the yeah. interaction with him. I wasn't doing that in the beginning. I wanted to make sure my vocals were right, but I wasn't acting, you know, because there is an element of acting when you're on stage mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. to me, you're playing a role. And the role of a background singer with the Rolling Stones is you are a bad bitch and you, you know, shake your moneymaker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, so, it's a great it's a great video. And, and you nail the vocals. Thank you. Not not just to that guy in the in the 700th row. Uh, but <laughs> but to uh, to everybody watching as well from on their little their little YouTube screen and phones and device and everything. Uh, no, it's 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 a dynamic. It, it's it's one of those it's one of those videos that we, you're you're just pulled into the emotion and the energy and a lot of a lot of live. I, I've been to so many concerts and and there's such great energy on stage. And you go back and watch a, a you know a live video of the band, and the energy doesn't translate. But there's there's an energy component here that uh, that that 
really is is imbued within that that moment. Well, there is a video I put on YouTube that was a fan video of me doing Gimme Shelter uh -huh. with Mrs. Jones. Uh -huh. And I was really kind of shocked because I didn't realize how I really was doing a good job with it. And it's a good one. So if your uh, fans want to check that out, it's Lorelai McBroom does give me shelter. That's how I titled it so that it wouldn't get stricken. I, I will I will link to that in the uh, in the notes here in a little bit. Meantime, uh, you're touring with the Australian Pink Floyd show. Do you, do you think we'll, we'll see more uh, more Pink Floyd music? You mean in general? Yeah. Well, there are so many Pink Floyd tribute bands out there right now. Um, some of them are well-known, yeah. many of them are not. But the Australian Pink Floyd is, as far as I'm aware, the number one tribute. And that's mm -hmm. why I'm really proud to sing with them because I feel they do a fantastic representation of the music. Yeah, yeah, you um, do. They're very true to the album versions because they know mm -hmm. that's what people know. Yeah. Uh, so they're kind of strict about us sticking to the way it was done on the record. How's, uh, but, how's the reaction been? Uh, fantastic from, yeah. oh my god and they love touring in the united states and you guys are, are playing you guys are playing bigger and bigger venues that's always nice uh -huh. um, the thing is is that the audiences are very emotive mm -hmm. you know they get excited by the lights they get excited by the whole sound of it they love everybody that does solos they applaud and that's really gratifying to us yeah. as a band. You know, we're getting standing ovations at the end of the night. We get those in Europe as well. It's mm -hmm. just a different culture, uh, depending on what country you're in. A lot of countries feel that it's disrespectful to be like loud during the song and they wait till it's over. Yeah. Americans are out there, yeah, woo, you know, <laughs> <laughs> cheering us on from the first couple of notes, which is wonderful. I've got I've got I've got family up in Canada. How are, how are the Canadians? They're great too. Yeah. Some okay. of, one of our best memories is playing at the Bell Center in Montreal. Okay. We were singing High Hopes, and everybody took their phones out instead of lighters like we used to do back in the day, and they were waving them, and it was yeah. just so moving. We were crying. I mean, it was just beautiful. It's making me emotional now thinking about it. Encumbered forever by desire and ambition There's a hunger still unsatisfied Our weary eyes still stray to the horizon Look down this road we've been so many times The cross was greener The taste was sweeter The nights of wonder With friends surrounded The dawn is glowing It was wonderful. So the Canadians are great. Time is a commodity for all of us, and and the band Pink Floyd, uh, the the uh, the remainder of, of the band who's still with us, um, isn't getting any any younger. Um, but they, they still keep putting out 
great music. Age has nothing to do with it. Yeah. In yeah. my opinion, yeah. when you have a certain quality of talent, and if you take care of yourself physically so that you can actually continue to perform, yeah. it's only going to get better with age yeah. unless you don't have talent. Yeah. You know, and then you disappear because nobody wants to hear from you. But these guys, all of them, Roger included, yeah. are very talented. Yeah. Um, I love to see that Nick is playing and he's put a band together and he's doing his thing. Nick is mm -hmm. my favorite of all of them, by the way. Okay. He's really funny. He's really personable, and he's just a lovely human being. But that um, uh, that that energy factor and that commodity factor makes a hell of a case for uh, uh, for the Australian Pink Floyd show. Yeah, well, for people that didn't have the chance to see Pink Floyd when they were together, yeah, um, yeah. it's a chance to kind of relive what that experience might have been like. Yeah. Yeah. NickBroomSisters.com, uh, Ravinia.org, uh, and to catch Lorelei and the Australian Pink Floyd show. Again, I saw Pink Floyd live uh, for the wall tour. If you close your eyes, you will not be able to tell the difference. You guys are magnificent. Uh, the very ne next best thing to seeing Pink Floyd live. Evidence for that are the, uh, the big venues that the Australian Pink Floyd show is now playing. The website is AussieFloyd.com. One night at Ravinia under the stars, September 7th at 7 p.m. Post links in the notes below. Lorelai, thank you so much. And, uh, and great luck with the, uh, with the tour. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this interview. I hey, love and, your questions. And uh, and and by the, by the way, would twelve hours of encores be out of the out of the question, Tanisha? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's just me being an idiot. You don't have to have to answer that. <laughs> oh, that's great. You're wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, and I hope to see you. Are you coming? Uh, I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna try. I've got. I've got uh, friends up there, and and the the mayor of of Highland Park, where Ravinia is located, is a dear, dear friend of mine. If you do make it, please come back and see me. Oh, wonderful! That would be so nice to meet you. Yeah, that would be great to meet in person. All right. Thank you again for the opportunity to promote this incredible show, and I hope that uh, the listeners of your show will come and see us. Uh, they better. <laughs> we're, give, we're giving a quiz afterwards. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lorelai. Welcome, my son. Welcome to the machine. Where have you been? I'm your host. W.C. Turk. Links to our featured guests are in the notes below. Support this podcast by simply clicking the subscribe button to receive notification about all of our upcoming episodes. Until next time.
Drink.